Welcome to the conversation at airsafe.com. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Curtis. What follows is an interview I had on March 16, 2014, on Radio New Zealand's show 9 to Noon. The host, Catherine Ryan, and I discussed several ongoing issues with the investigation into the missing airliner, Malaysian Airlines Flight MH370. Good morning. Welcome to 9 to Noon. I'm Catherine Ryan with you through till midday this Monday. First, Malaysia is appealing for more radar and satellite data from several countries as it continues to search for the missing Boeing 777 that disappeared nine days ago with 239 people on board, including two New Zealanders. In the dramatic turn of events at the weekend, Malaysian authorities uh, have concluded that the plane was deliberately steered off course. It could be anywhere from Kazakhstan to the Indian Ocean according to information provided by satellites. We'll speak again to Todd Curtis, a former Boeing 777 engineer, current director of the Airsafe.com Foundation, about some of the latest evidence that's led to these conclusions. In developments over the weekend, the authorities have now said they believe the jet was deliberately flown off course after uh, takeoff. The plane is thought to have continued emitting acoustic signals to satellites for at least five hours after it was reported lost. And this has given some indication of the direction in which it may have headed. In Malaysia, a criminal investigation has been launched, with the two pilots' homes being searched by police. Well, the former Boeing 777 engineer and current director of the Airsafe Foundation in the United States, Todd Curtis, is our guest Todd, welcome. Thanks again for talking to us, helping us make sense of what we're hearing from the authorities. Good morning. Uh, good morning to you. What is the information that this Boeing aircraft did emit, the so-called acoustic pinger signals, that has helped provide some kind of information to investigators? Well, the acoustic pinger is associated with the black boxes, and that unfortunately hasn't uh, been detected yet. But the pinging, electronic pinging that was emitted was from the engines. Uh, you might have heard of, of the ACAR system, which is a communication system for communicating the system status of the aircraft back to the manufacturer, in this case, back to the engine manufacturer. That system was disabled. However, it wasn't completely taken offline. There was a sort of a station keeping or status signal that goes out once an hour that has no data with it. It just basically says to the operator, hey, this engine system is ready for transmitting data. That's the only information that was received after about the first half hour, and that is the information that allowed the Inmarsat Corporation, which receives these signals, to determine those broad arcs where the aircraft may have been after eight hours. It's a blip. It's been compared to like your cell phone. Even if your cell phone's turned off, it will give a, an occasional blip exactly. that, can be, that can be picked up by satellite and give a rough indication of, of where you might be or certainly that, you know, that the phone is somewhere. A lot of talk about whether certain things like the transponder were turned off and when and what kind of knowledge you would need in order to do this. With this particular emission system to the satellites, is that knowledge that a pilot or someone who could have got themselves some pilot training online or whatever, something that they would know about or would it be largely unknown before now to most people? Well, it would be largely known to someone who's flying the aircraft. That is, uh, re repeating what she said earlier, there are two different kinds of systems. The transponder system, which is a system to send coded information to air traffic control radars and the ACAR system, which is a system to send system status information back to the company or back to the manufacturer. Uh, turning off the transponder is fairly easy. There's an on-off switch in the cockpit, 
and there are circuit breakers that are accessible in the cockpit that can take that system offline. And that's something that is standard in a lot of aircraft because there are some situations when you have to isolate that electronic device, when the electronic device might be sending out false information, it needs to be shut down. Now the ACARS is something altogether different. That's typically not accessed by the cockpit uh, crew, and that takes some knowledge of the aircraft beyond the cockpit. Now, professional pilots like these two pilots were would probably easily have access to that kind of information. The manuals for determining which circuit breakers will control it, that's readily available within the company. So a knowledgeable person, not necessarily a pilot, could disable both systems. Is it more difficult to, uh, to disable the ACARS? I heard some talk about how you might have to go beneath the cockpit, for example, to access it, something that engineers might do more than a pilot. That's correct. And again, that de depends on the installation of that particular airline because the ACARS can be customized. But typically, the circuit breakers that don't need to be accessed by the pilots in the cockpit may either be in a somewhat inaccessible panel in the cockpit or it might be in another part of the aircraft. And the part of the aircraft where a lot of the electronics happen to be stored is something called the E&E bay or the electronics bay, which is below the cockpit. And in some aircraft, I don't know about the configuration of the Flight 370 aircraft, in some aircraft it can be accessed during flight. The other point to have come out of this, we were listening to correspondents speaking again this morning about the information that has uh, been revealed over the weekend to the extent that it's been revealed. The timing of the turning off of the transponder, if I've heard reports correctly, appeared to be before the last communication by whoever, whomever made that communication in the cockpit. That's the, the, the information I've been uh, seeing as well from the Malaysian authorities and elsewhere. And if that is the case, that's uh, particularly... Uh, troubling because under normal circumstances, if you're turning off the transponder, that's something that should be reported to air traffic control because that device is not only used by air traffic control to identify aircraft, it's also used by other aircraft as part of an anti-collision system. So anytime a crew member would take that off for uh, any reason, that's not a routine operation. And also, Taking the A cars offline, like they, they apparently did, is something that typically can't be done from the, from the cockpit. So that says to me one of three things. Either the crew was dealing with some sort of extraordinary system situation that they're trying to diagnose, and they were doing so by cutting boxes off and cutting devices off and seeing what happened. They may have been already under some sort of uh, hijack situation and were compelled to do so, or the crew themselves were trying to, in essence, sabotage the flight by taking off these essential devices. Any one of these three scenarios seems reasonable. Without further information, it's hard to say which one actually happened. However, the transponder was turned off before final communication. You would think if there was some kind of difficulty with the airplane, that would be part of the communication. Well, the, again, in, in, normally you would, but again, in the cockpit, if it's something that the crew thinks is a relatively minor thing they're going to clear out in a minute or so, it may not be something that would raise the attention of air traffic control. So that by itself doesn't raise, raise a huge amount of suspicion. That can happen in normal operations. But the combination the of things is not normal. The other uh, matter that to come out of uh, reportage, not just from the media conference over the weekend with Malaysian Prime Minister, but also from what correspondents are telling us of their own conversations with officials, 
was the fact that it has not been revealed who that final communication came from. It's not been revealed whether it was with certainty or can be identified with certainty to have been the pilot. That's certainly an important point, and I do hope that there is going to be some sort of analysis done to determine if it was one of the two pilots, or more importantly, someone other than the two pilots. If that turns out to be the case, then it becomes very, very uh, difficult to say that this is not some sort of hijacking. What is also happening, of course, we know, is that the pilots themselves, and indeed crew and indeed everyone on the plane, but the pilots themselves also appear to be subject to investigation as to their backgrounds, uh, clearly, as everyone is trying to understand who has done what on this flight. When it comes to the information that was received by the satellites, and the authorities now saying they have narrowed this, or that might be a slightly optimistic term, but narrowed this down to two corridors that the, the plane may have flown, one northern and one more southern. Can you speak to those two corridors, the, your, your knowledge or your expectations of the likelihood of the plane having followed one over the other? One, of course, goes over some very sensitive uh, countries when it comes to uh, conflict and, and military interest. What's your assessment of that information? Well, first of all, the fact that those uh, arcs were shaped the way they were indicates the following. I believe the uh, satellite company did dis speak to this as well. Basically, the satellite was measuring the time that it took for the signal to reach the satellite. The satellite was in geosynchronous uh, orbit somewhere over the uh, western Indian Ocean. And given the time it took to reach there, and given the limits of the aircraft, for example, it would have literally been a complete circle. That would have been the distance from the satellite. But most of that circle was inaccessible because, simply put, the airplane could not have flown to those parts of the circle. That's why the arcs had extensions that went to the north to a certain level and the south to a certain level. Secondly, there, there was a part of that arc where there was other sort of information being gathered, radar, data, etc., that eliminated that part of the arc as being a possible place for the airplane. So instead of having a full circle, you had this northern arc and southern arc. What that arc says is that at that point, when that electronic ping happened, it could have been anywhere along those two arcs. Doesn't mean it flew on that arc, it just means that at that point, the airplane would have been somewhere in those arcs. Parts of those arcs were over territory that has, uh, in some cases, rather good air traffic uh, control and radar coverage from their military. And the other part of the arc, in the southern Indian Ocean, was basically a long way from any place that the airplane could have landed. So either way, there's troubling implications. That is, if it were in the northern part, it could be landed, it could have landed somewhere, perhaps in a place that's not entirely uh, uh, friendly to the aircraft. If it's in the southern arc, it very likely landed in the water. The northern arc, as we said, includes many countries which you would think for military reasons would have fairly robust satellite surveillance underway. Uh, is it possible for it to have flown in that arc and not been detected? Uh, although, as we said, Malaysia, of course, is requesting further information from a number of countries. It's entirely possible, in spite of the statements by some of the countries that said, boasting, we have very good military radar, it couldn't have gone here without being seen. Uh, some in the audience might recall a pilot by the name of Matthias Roost. He was a young uh, German person who flew a, a small single-engine Cessna into what was then the Soviet Union and landed the aircraft in Red Square. 
He may have been detected, but he wasn't challenged by the Soviet uh, military, which at the time had perhaps the most comprehensive military radar system crisscrossing the borders, crisscrossing the country. Yet this young man with an unarmed airplane and relatively little aeronautical knowledge flew right into Red Square and landed safely. Could a Boeing, could a, could a, could a Boeing 777, a large commercial aircraft, have entered the space without someone in one of those countries knowing? Well, it's very likely that someone noticed it, but it's a question of would they notice it and have the presence of mind to inform the proper authorities, and those authorities in turn take the proper action, such as sending up a military jet to inspect it, that sort of thing. Uh, as, and history is full of uh, these situations where an unusual situation was detected in the air, and either no action was taken or improper actions were taken. So this could be a situation where, assuming that the aircraft was over the northern arc, that it may have been seen by uh, a number of radars, but no action was taken. Hence yeah. investigators, hence the investigators seeking more radar and satellite information from any of these countries, requesting that. That's correct, because at this point, uh, given the frankly, the bizarre nature of what went on over those few hours, uh, it would be necessary and helpful to have as much information as possible. My only question in general is, who's analyzing this information? Right now, for all intents and purposes, the Malaysian authorities are officially in charge of the investigation, but certainly most of the very, very good information is not in the possession of the Malaysian authorities, nor is this information that's normally submitted for an aviation incident. Uh, for example, uh, the U.S. and Australian and uh, other intelligent age agencies from the region may have satellite data, electronic intercepts, etc., not normally given over to air traffic control or to air accident investigations, but certainly that information could be quite critical in analyzing this event. Hence their request for more help. Todd, thank you. For more information, please visit 777.airsafe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.